Hello, and welcome to Beyond Organic Wine. I'm Adam Huss, coming to you from Los Angeles, California. Thank you so much for listening. I'm especially grateful to those of you who support this podcast by subscribing via Patreon. Thank you so much for your ongoing support. I recently posted an unreleased episode on Patreon from 2019 exclusively for subscribers. It's an interview with Peter Work of Ampelos Cellars. Ampelos was the first winery ever triple certified organic, biodynamic, and sustainable. And Peter has a great story to share. If you'd like to subscribe, the link to our Patreon page will be in the show notes. If you don't want to subscribe, but would like to support this podcast, one of the easiest and most beneficial things you can do right now is leave a great review on your podcast app. And for more ideas about how you can support, go to beyondorganicwine.com or email me at connect at organicwinepodcast.com. This episode is once again sponsored by Nick Dugmore and his winery, The Stoke. Here's Nick's message. We at The Stoke wanted to sponsor the Beyond Organic Wine podcast because of the importance of the message that so many of these conversations bring. Our future generations depend upon us, and education is the key to a change in our concepts of how we could and should be farming and treating our soils. It doesn't matter your level of education with these topics, as long as you're willing to learn and your heart is in the right place, you will make a difference, and it doesn't matter the size as it all adds up. Keep pushing. And please keep chatting. Let's do this. I'll also add that you can find more about Nick's winery and where you can get his wines by going to stokewines.au. I hope that you are as impressed by Nick's ad as I am. It's hard to even call it an ad. And that you feel as strongly as I do that this is the kind of sponsor who deserves our support and patronage. If you haven't listened to Nick's story, please check out two episodes ago. It's an incredible episode with Nick. A huge thank you to Nick and the Stoke for the support. What if things get better? This is the title of a fantastic article in Esquire by Pulitzer finalist Karen Russell. And it's also the message of hope I want to offer with this episode. Please do yourself a favor and search online for What If Things Get Better and read it. It's a quick read, but incredibly powerful. Its sources include Mimi Castile and Lila June, If you haven't seen Lila June's 10 Talk, by the way, please go to her website, lilajune.com, that's L-Y-L-A-J-U-N-E.com, and watch it. Not only will you learn four incredibly powerful agricultural techniques for taking your wine growing to the next level, if you want to apply it to wine growing, you'll be inspired to imagine a first step in the direction of hope. Karen's article is actually about this need to exercise our imagination to begin to see a future where things improve and what our part is in that future. She puts it, rebuilding biodiverse soils is one of the greatest tools in addressing our climate crisis. So is inputting new life into our imaginations. We cannot succeed if we cannot imagine and articulate vivid alternatives to apocalypse. Do you remember how clear the air was in the early summer of 2020? The pandemic had just hit, and nobody was leaving their homes and driving. Here in Los Angeles, it was remarkable. Freeways were empty, and I could look across the city from the hills of Kennethon Park, and there was no brown layer of pollution just above the rooftops. It was blue and clear and fresh. I know many people took this as a lesson, that the earth would be better off without us. But this is the wrong lesson to take, because, you know, we were all still here. The difference wasn't that we were gone, it's that we were making different choices. As Lila June makes clear in her TED Talk, humans are not only not bad for the Earth, the Earth desperately needs us. We are not the harmful systems we've created recently. For most of our history on this planet, we actually enhanced and benefited the health of our world. I've been critical of hope in the past, as I worry that we can use it as an excuse to wait for somebody else to do something. But if hope inspires us to imagine ourselves creating and living better systems, I can't think of a better gift to give. As Mimi Castile is quoted in the article, we can manifest huge amounts of energy to make change, Mimi says. The only true limitation to a future of beauty and permanence is our own imagination and the courage to act. And so for a dose of hope and imagination and a vision of beauty and permanence for this episode, I bring you Ron and Monique of Weinhard Dasimus in the Netherlands. 
Ron and Monique are doing so much cool stuff all at once, I don't even know where to begin. They are the largest commercial no-spray vineyard in the world that I'm aware of, at 6 hectares, or 15 acres. And they're doing this in Holland. That means the vines they grow are not getting sprayed in a climate that has some pretty nasty weather. Trust me, I spent a year there. It's wet. It's dark. (laughs) And two of those 6 hectares, or 5 acres, of that vineyard is a younger vitiforestry planting that will use trees as living trellis posts. <laughs> when you hear about how and why they use high cordon trellising system, how and why they mow very sparsely, how and why they don't need to add fertilizer, how and why they've chosen the tree partners in the vitiforestry block, and how the system lends itself to incredibly beautifully expressive wines, and so much more, you will see how amazingly caring and thoughtful they are about the ecology of every element of their system and why I'm so thrilled to share this with you. While there are folks doing pieces of what Ron and Monique are doing, I have yet to find anyone doing all of this in one vineyard. And they are doing it in a place that doesn't even have a wine tradition, mostly because the weather is so bad. I guess what I'm trying to say is, if they can do what they are doing where they're doing it, and they are... The rest of us have no excuses, so let your imaginations run wild and enjoy. And P.S., a special thank you to Ryan Opaz of Catavino Tours for pointing me in the direction of these amazing Dutch winemakers. Also, I'll include the links to everything that I mentioned in the show notes. Enjoy. Welcome, guys. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate you uh, having this conversation. No problem. And if you would, you guys are in the Netherlands, and I would love for you to introduce yourselves, your names and, and the name of your winery. Yeah, so it's uh, Ron and Monique, and uh, we're in the Netherlands and just south of Breda, which is a little bit bigger city, but in the south of uh, the Netherlands. And uh, we have a vineyard here, a vineyard Dossimus, which is the name of the place where we are, a very s- super small, like five houses, little village. Weingard Dossimus? Dossimus, yes. <laughs> And it's you say Weingart? Weingart. Weingart. Oh, I forgot the Dutch G. Yeah, it's very nice to hear your accents. By the way, it it bring back, brings back fond memories of living there. And so you guys are right across the Belgian border. It's like a three three kilometers from here. Right. On, yeah. Yeah. Uh, how do you guys know each other? Oh, for a really long time. <laughs> Few colleagues, I guess. Colleagues, yeah, we were in a summer like, job, like outdoor activities, climbing and uh, canoeing. That's where we met in Austria, and there was oh, no uh, no vineyard in sight. No, no. Ah, yeah, for so a long, how, for long time, for a long time. Yeah. Well, I, I and I'll just I'll, I'll just sort of tease uh, a little bit about what you guys are doing. But you are farming in the Netherlands without sprays. Uh, about. Well, a little over six hectares, about 15 acres. Is that right? Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Um, and I want to get into what, how you're doing that. But how did you guys get started in wine? I mean, how did you start down this path? Like when, when it, at the yeah. very beginning? Uh, yeah, it, it, it was just a hobby in the beginning. And, and we, we were both really interested in plants and, and growing plants and, and growing like sort of exotic plants. Uh, well, ex- exotic for us, having vines all, already almost exotic. And uh, so this hobby, we, we started out and uh, tried. And, and this was in 2000, maybe three or four. Uh, and there were just like the first peavies were there. Uh-huh. And, and we planted some and they really grow uh, grew very good. And we also planted some classical varieties like a, like a Pinot Noir and a Riesling. But they uh-huh. just... They, they just died after a couple of years. But like if you're yeah. <laughs> busy with plants and wine and just as a hobby, you're reading about it, you're looking on the internet, you're visiting vineyards. And sort of the idea came around that we would, uh, that we could start like a proper vineyard, uh, sustainable, because we didn't, I, I see no point in starting a vineyard in the Netherlands, which has a terrible climate, like cold and wet and I mean, a lot of mildew, powdery mildew, and then start with like a Chardonnay or something. So you have to spray actually more than you would have to spray in France. Right. I see no, no point in that. So, uh, but we thought with these new varieties, there were just like Regent and Joanita and Rondo. And uh, we thought, well, it might be uh, possible uh, to start with those. 
and we we we, we didn't like spraying or anything uh, so we that was like the first thing no spraying right and and then we thought it would be possible with that so then then we started in 2005 with the first uh, plot of uh, one hectare and see how it went and uh, grew from there slowly and so when did you reach uh, your current uh, size so this so we 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 planted a little bit extra 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 up to like four hectares okay and then because you, you, we want to make a living off the vineyard so you need to, to produce quite a lot of bottles and we right. thought like four hectares is okay that should be enough uh, so we first grew to the four hectares and then we looked first are all the varieties doing okay uh, are they all producing what we like and are they well uh, producing nice wines good resistance and everything and then um, so we we actually removed quite a lot of varieties so that took a long time eh, because uh, you plant something it takes four years before you get the first harvest then you make wine you try another year you try another year and actually after like eight to ten years you can say okay this variety is is good or it's it's not so good and we had quite a few that didn't produce what we want and we we had to take them out replant them with small vines and wait another three years so it actually took like about 15 years before we had the whole four hectares productive productive and like like uh, how we wanted and um, only the last three years we uh, increased it by another two hectares and were you finding you needed those extra two hectares because for any specific reason or you were just yeah, because ready the wine the wine was sold out <laughs> <laughs> that's a good reason yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah I mean, we always... a little bit more, and and I mean, we at first four hectares is really a lot for 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 just the two of us, but um, yeah, we sort of got more extensive in the during these years. So actually, we have maybe we have time for another two hectares in this fashion. How we manage the the, uh, the vineyard right now? Right. Well, I I should warn you. Sometimes what happens when you expand based on your production as you start having children so that they can help with the farming so just beware yeah i, I don't think we will uh, go this way no. yeah um. but it, I mean, it, it's, it's yeah well it's a joke of course because they say uh, wine making and building a vineyard takes 100 years so multiple generations right but i think for we, we don't have children but um there's so many people that enjoy the vineyard and, and want to work here and so huh. I'm really, it's, it's, people are really drawn to, towards uh, organic vineyards. You'll be able to adopt some strays, basically. Yeah. Oh, uh, we, sure. we adopted a lot of already. Yeah. They also left, a lot of them left us also. So yeah. for some of okay. them, it's, it's quite hard. Yeah. People, people think it's romantic and then they yeah, it's not romantic. <laughs> <laughs> No, what's at all? Well, uh, what was I going to ask? You just had, you made me think of a really good question. Um, <laughs> I mean, one of the reasons I'm joking about, you know, obviously expanding and everything like that. But, you know, one thing I've considered when you're working with no sprays or, you know, with this philosophy of like not wanting to spray and therefore you might have a lower productivity. Um, and so sometimes just planting, you know, it's it's almost mm -hmm. like you want to build a business plan on projecting, you know, 50 percent productivity based on what might be the average for the kind of planting that you're doing. And then if you get more than that, great, it's a bonus. But in, yeah. in bad years or difficult, challenging years, you still have based your business plan on yeah. this thing. D did that play at all into this uh, at all? Like, do you, no. do you have a lower no. productivity, would you no, say? We, or? I mean, the sales were really good. So we just thought there's room for more wine to make Got it. it. But, uh, well, there's some truth in what you say, because we do produce less than uh, like a conventional vineyard. And why but is that? Because we don't want to burden the plants so much. So this is very important. Eh? So if you don't spray, the plants have to be super healthy. And if you burden them with a lot of grapes, they, they suffer a little bit. And they it's like when you work too hard, you get ill, you know. And it's the yeah. same for plants. So if, if they, have to, they have too many grapes, then they just get more susceptible to all the diseases. So we have to keep the yield quite low and then, then they're more, more healthy. But not, I mean, I don't, 
if I hear stories sometimes from France, the yield is not that low. No, it's not that low. We, we, we're sort of like uh, maybe uh, for a bottle plant, we say. So it's like uh, 3,000 liters per hectare or something. Okay. And sometimes it's more good. Yeah, sometimes more and it's good. And, but other vineyards, they might make double in the Netherlands. But then they also have to tend the, uh, to the plants more. So it, they, it takes more time. Uh, and uh, we sort of leave the plants more, so it's less time, but still good production. But then when you say uh, you, you go, you you take like fifty percent in account to 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 have this uh, to have every every year's yield fifty percent lower. But actually, what we see is that we have a much more constant yield over the years. Uh-huh. Uh, so we see other vineyards that have like twenty twenty one. They have like a complete uh, miss. Uh, Misharvest, yeah, produce almost nothing, and and ours is much more constant. So I think in it in like a ten year period, it wouldn't be that much a difference from a conventional winery because yeah, the plants are just more stable and more resistant and stronger. So your average yield across like a ten year period might even might be the same or higher potentially because of the yeah, consistency. Yeah, yeah. and what happened? Did, in, yeah, they did a lot in twenty twenty one. Oh, sorry, well, just horrible, uh, horrible year. <laughs> Just a lot of it rain. It was just a horrible year. Was it like yeah, no hail summer, like freezing? no summer, like uh, 16, 17 degrees in August or something? And cold rain, spring, r- r- cold, yeah, late yeah. flowering, no sun, uh, right? Yeah. Very low sugars in the end when yeah, we harvested right. ripe grapes, but low sugars, and I yeah. think that's that sort of uh, characterizes also our our wines. Probably they're quite low alcohol, like ten yeah. to eleven percent, and then we're happy. But yeah. then 2021 was more like 8 to 9%. So that was a bit uh, interesting how the market would react to it. But I think in the end, it was okay. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, just to give a sense of how far north you are. I mean, when I was there, I I had to go to a tanning salon in December. <laughs> <laughs> just to get like a dose yeah, I mean, of UV, you know, some vitamin D. Right? We grew up there, so no, it's a bit it's different. Not that it's not that bad. <laughs> you're, you're acclimated. <laughs> yeah yeah i was coming from los angeles i was definitely light okay yeah, that's different yeah yeah um, but we, always, we always look forward to the summer where where it's like nice temperature like 25 or something oh like yeah it, i mean it's the best I, I, time to enjoy the netherlands july and august and then this year 2021 it was just horrible yeah and yeah so difficult years but i mean especially in difficult years the resistant uh, varieties the pvs they prove themselves because they they have they had all the leaves they still making sugar not that much but there was no sun but I mean they're still giving good quality grapes and ripe grapes a little bit lower in the alcohol but it's, it was not a problem and we had a good yield that was also yeah. probably the biggest surprise yeah huh. yeah like That's like cool. a decent yield yeah yeah, yeah. Well, but I'm actually sure the, the years actually got better and better last uh, since 2015 maybe that every year was better and then. 16 was also bad yeah, so yeah. one out of one out of five years yeah but that's not bad but I when mean, we started in the 2005 it was maybe every other year was not yeah, so good true. and now it's right. maybe one in five so i mean we we noticed the climate <laughs> change there already yeah yeah you guys might actually benefit from the <laughs> that there in the netherlands yeah. One yeah. of the uh, rare benefits. Uh, until <laughs> until, right. we complete, until we completely flooded, flooded of yeah. course. Huh? <laughs> right, right. Because we're, well, still, well, we're only like two meters over sea level. But I was going to say, are you in part of Holland that, you know, was built below? or that was there originally? We were there originally, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so we, we yeah. have two two meters plus, but uh, I mean... One day we'll be but, on the seaside. Yeah, we'll be on the seaside at one point, so... There was a some joke I heard that's a very Dutch joke that, you know, God created the world in seven days, and then yeah. the Dutch built Holland. Dutch built Holland, yeah, that's how it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I, so, I, something you guys said, I wanted to go back to, or you, you said, Ron, that you know, there's a saying that it takes a hundred years to build a vineyard, um, than generations. Now, who says that? Well, I actually think they're right, huh? Because it's, I do too. I just that is not I mean, a common thing that I've heard. I mean, it's not. I think, I mean, well, look, I'll just put it in, in the context of, of America, the U.S. It's, you know, I, I don't think people think long term like that about agriculture in general. And I mean, most of our agriculture is less, than, it seems yeah. like. Yeah. Um, and so it's, I, you know, that perspective, I completely um, 
agree with, but I it I think that's what I like about it. Yeah. Uh, that I mean, I, but it's not in constant. California. They started with wines in the seventeen something or something. Right? They did. That's true. I mean, Los Angeles. So somebody started yeah, has, with it, and uh, and it took them also like maybe hundred or two hundred years to get uh, decent wines and like world acclaimed wines. Huh? That is a good point. You've you've you, you, you're, you're absolutely. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. But I mean, I guess I was thinking specifically of a vineyard. I mean, a lot of, you know. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's a little joke, of course, also, because you, you learn, you can build a vineyard faster, but it really to learn how to make wine with all the different years and to have like a really good experience, build an experience for all these years, all these different uh, situations. I mean, you only can make wine once a year. Huh? So if you, you have to make wine, like maybe 50 times, a hundred times to really get got enough get enough experience so it, it's difficult yeah huh? yeah, yeah. well I, I often think i mean this was a, a conversation i had with a, another guy who's doing a no spray vineyard in a, in a very challenging place in the center of the u.s um and and you know that was his thought as well was just you know we think that we can just like plant a vineyard and have success you know within a few years and and he's like but i you know i think originally you had to try different grapes you know you had yeah. to maybe even breed and select new grapes for your area to see what worked well and that, yep. you know that did the best and that took generations and you really wow. built a vineyard as this ongoing process of adaptation for generations to get yeah. to a point where it was you know integrated as part of that geology the local geography and and the local culture yep. um, so I, I like that idea so well you and and i like that you guys have started this way <laughs> can you talk about what you're growing and how how you're growing it um so we we have a, a lot of you know so we call them pvs eh? so it's uh, german for uh, the resistant uh, variety the pilzwiderstandsfähige traube pvs right. it sounds better than hybrids we think because <laughs> yeah, hybrids yeah, sort of got a bad, bad name from from i think uh, the chemical industry in the, in the yeah. 30s, 50s but uh, so we like to call them PVs. We only have PVs, and uh, that's the reason we don't have to spray. If we can do without spraying, because they're just super uh, resistant, uh, but right. not all equally resistant. So they develop maybe 40, 50 of these uh, PVs, PV varieties, and uh, I think we tried a lot of them, like maybe 40 even. And so we had to take out quite a few, and now we're left with about 18 uh, PV varieties. 18, and there's a lot of did you say 18, 18, one eight, yeah. 18 varieties and uh, there's a lot of development in this area so uh, almost every year of every other year there's a new one coming from germany they're mostly bred in germany although france and italy are starting up programs as well and um yeah so th these varieties they made it possible i would say to, right. to start a vineyard here nice and and how, how so 18 from 40 how and are, are there do you have any stars that stand out to you now that you like? Yeah, so we, yeah, we've got quite new ones. That's the Souvenir Gris. It's uh -huh. really, really good. Uh, it's much better than everything before. It's um, growing fast, very uh, resistant. And, and the grapes, they're so beautiful. It's a Gris, yeah? so like a Pinot Gris. So the grapes are actually not yellow or white, but red. And not yeah. not not blue for red wine, but like red, and not okay. not to make red wine, of course, but uh, to make a white wine. Very thick skins. Super thick skins. So you can leave them like we could leave them till November, and they still would be fine. Uh, wow. So so that's a really good one. And uh, flavor is 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 a little bit difficult. I would say it's for us. It's like a like a little bit bland, maybe like Pinot Blanc type of uh, wine. Okay. But we make it into orange, and then it's all of a sudden completely different. Mm. And then uh, there's Sauvignac, which is also a new one. It's uh, developed by Valentin Blattner, a very uh -huh. special guy. And uh, this one is super aromatic, like Sauvignon Blanc, and uh, super resistant, grows very fast. Uh, so uh, these two are really uh, one of our two of our favorite uh, varieties. But also like something like Solaris, which is a little bit older, is a very good one for us because it ripens very very early, and uh, it sort of saved the harvest in 2021 when there was no yeah. sun. This still produced wines from at 12% uh, alcohol, so we could do a lot of blending to make yeah, the, well. the wines uh, a little bit higher. Yeah. I, I had some Danish Solaris that I yeah. thought was very pretty, very beautiful. Yeah, um, I think it, it's really 
so early that it's not really suited for like France or Germany. It's really suited for the northern uh, yeah. northern climates. And uh, I think if if it's too too warm and it's too far south, you get like overpowering fruitiness. And and in the Netherlands and Denmark, you get like a very very balanced fruitiness. So uh, yeah, very good variety. Yeah, and this Solaris was actually the base for Souvignacri and for uh, other varieties like Muscaris. And uh, also for a red variety. So the Solaris was actually the first one. It has probably like a double uh, resistance, uh, genetic uh, resistance. So it was really super uh, resistant. And so they took it as a base for a whole wide range of uh, new varieties. Got it. Yeah. Anything else? That's. Um, Monique, do you have a favorite? Um, for the blue ones, yeah, one we really like is uh, Cabernet Jura. Also from yeah. Valentin Blattner. Okay. And uh, in the beginning, we didn't know what to do with it because it's super fruity and <laughs> no one was really ready for, at the time, it was like 2007 or eight for this very fruity red wine, a little bit of strawberry in it. Um, mm. And now... And then we, we actually started taking plants out. Yeah, because, because we thought, we, oh, what, there's what no future in this one. No future. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and now we're making it into a red sparkling wine, which is super cool. And we use it for a rosé and it's so interesting flavors. Also, I think our taste changed a little bit, drinking more natural wine, uh, more fruity red wines. And then we thought, okay, this, this might be something there. Yeah. It's interesting. So now we're replanting it. Yes. <laughs> That's fun. Have, uh, have, you, have you tried doing any carbonic maceration on it to make it super fruity? Yeah, we we tried carbonic this year for the first time on on several varieties, and I think we're going to continue experimenting with uh, this. For, yeah, for but next it has year. no tannins, so maybe not for that one. For that we one have some other one. ones that yeah. are like uh, Cabernet Cortis that has a lot of tannins, so we might try it on that one to see what the effect is. Yeah, and also on the orange wine. Yeah. Have you um have you looked into the parentage of of that Cabernet? What is it, Cabernet Ura? Jura. Jura. Jura, like J-U-R-A? Yeah, like, like the province. Like the province in France. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cabernet Jura. Yeah. Have you looked into the parentage of that? Because the yeah, well, it's, kind it's of flavors that you're describing sounds like a like there might be Labrusca, Vitus Labrusca. So, yeah, so. it could be. It could be. And uh, uh, it's it's also developed by this Valentin Blattner, which is just a, like a private uh, person developing yes. nursery or developing new varieties. So he's a little bit s- secretive about what... Uh, <laughs> what crosses yes. made, you know yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm currently because most of the other varieties they're all developed on this uh, big universities in Germany like the Freiburg University but uh, some varieties like the Sauvignac and the uh, Cabernet Blanc and and the Cabernet Jura they were developed by this Valentin Blattner uh, guy in Switzerland yeah. he's in the Swiss yeah, Jura uh, so that's why a lot of varieties are named after his area got it yeah. got it um, yeah, he, he is a big name. I, I hope to talk to him someday. That'd be nice. Yeah, and I'm currently yeah. trying yeah. to um, look it up. There's a website called Chateau Strip Mine. Uh, <laughs> and it is it gives the parentage of every grape for which there is parentage. Okay. Um, so it's like a, a database of... Um, yeah, yeah of like the lineage of all the grapes. And so you can, I mean, whether it, you know, whatever species or, or interspecies it is. Um, so that's why I was trying to look it up, but it looks like the site is down right now, but very curious to know yeah, more. But about I think he, he's, he's traveling the world and doing uh, like new varieties for all wine areas. He, I think he was in California also did a project there. And I yeah. think the Sauvignac variety came from that uh, project. So he's, he's all over the world uh, doing uh, making a uh, breeding new varieties suited for that climate uh, in those countries. So really interesting guy. Yeah, yeah. We need more of them. Um, <laughs> well, what what do you else... What, tell me about the farming that you are doing. If you aren't spraying, uh, what else do you do to the vineyard besides plant them and prune them? Uh, not much. Huh? So we try to do <laughs> as little as possible. Huh? So it's really very... How do you train them? Yeah, so we, we actually developed a, a different system. So we started on normal uh, double guillot uh, system uh, where, uh-huh. we would, where we would tie the bottom two branches at maybe like 80, 90 centimeters height. Yeah. Um, because another thing we can talk later about it is the frost problems we have in uh, springtime. 
Yeah, it's uh, pretty flat where you are, right? Yeah, it's completely flat. So we've got to yeah. get a lot of uh, like uh, ground frost and sometimes a little bit higher and sometimes it's, it goes that like a meter high and then all your grapes are frozen. So we yeah. have a whole spraying system with water to uh, prevent uh, any damage. But um, yeah, training them in this uh, double GO system and, and then they grow upward and upwards and it's actually a lot of work to bind the grapes not with all varieties. If you have like a, like a Riesling, we don't have it, but a Riesling type or Johanniter and Riesel and Bianca. And they grow perfectly straight. So it, it just takes mm. me like half an hour to do 100 plants to tie them up in, uh, in summer. And then we have Solaris. We talked about it before. And it grows all over the place, like left, right, <laughs> up, down. And to tie those into a neat row, it took me like three hours for 100 <laughs> plants. And we have 3,000 plants of Solaris. <laughs> so it was just too much. It was too much work. We couldn't. We just, for one year, we just forgot the Solaris, did the rest of the vineyard. And, uh, well, we, we didn't know what to do. And then I read about this uh, different uh, training system. It's it's called, in German, it's called Umkehr Erziehung, like upside down system, where okay. you grow, grow the plant to like uh, two meters height. And then uh-huh. you just let the branches grow down hang down yes and that works really super good really perfectly because um, you don't have to do any uh, binding and uh, the grapes are like up two meters so more in the wind and more in the sun then uh, the grapes are way above all the grasses and and all the moisture from the soil and uh, also no frost problems or less frost problems because it's like ground frost and two meters is like seven degrees warmer normally right you get less frost and um yeah actually that was we started with solaris and we liked it so much that we did the next variety and the next variety and now we have got almost got the whole vineyard trained in this in this different umkerzium system or or like a curtain system they call it or a little bit like a pergola system Mm. so um yeah, that, that really work. yeah, and then we don't have to bind, so we have so always the summer was so uh, our, uh, labor intensive that um, that we just couldn't manage uh, four hectares almost, and now with this system we manage uh, easier, and we can so that's why we could plant another two hectares. Yeah, and so even the upright the the varieties that grow very upright naturally, you're letting them climb up and and droop down as well. Yeah, I do, but I, they're the last to uh, to be uh, retrained, let's say. Right. Because so, I, I left them, I left them in the normal system for for up till now. But uh, we try them also, and it's just much better. And actually, we think it's a more natural way for the vine to grow this upward yeah. system. Because in, this... the, in the old in the old system with the double GO and letting the plants grow up, you're actually like uh, promoting the plant to grow upwards. To grow upwards, it wants to go to the top of the tree. Yeah? It's like an, a vine is like a like a tree climber in in nature. So right. it wants to grow up. If if it can, it grows up, 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 and it really starts growing. But you don't need any growth. Eh? You have got enough growth after a couple of years. So you just want fruit. And if a tree, if a vine is in the top of the tree and there's no more tree, then it just starts hanging down and it starts producing more fruit. It's what we think. So it's it's yeah, more like this is. This idea, I mean, has really, I, I love this. Like we mentioned this before when we talked and I mean, you mentioned this before and I've just been thinking about it ever since, but this idea of having your trellising system replicate the vine's natural, probably hormonal signaling to itself. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like where you, yeah, it, yeah, when yeah, it reaches you, the top, it starts yeah, drooping. It, it and sends that, its hormones to the highest point huh? and that, that's the, 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 the branches gro- uh, growing upwards, huh? And right. They hang down. They don't give get all these hor- uh, the, all these hormones, and then we'll, you see that the growth after like meter and a half is sort of slows down a lot. And if you do it upwards, we had vines growing like eight meters in a, in a year. It's just right. It's, it's stupid. Huh? It's not necessary. And you keep cutting the tops off like three, four times a year. Every yeah, it week creates work. Okay. Yeah, right. It creates work, and it and it takes energy from the plant that the plant could otherwise use to develop the grapes yeah so you're like letting it naturally go into a reproductive state by replicating the sense of having reached the top of the canopy yeah i just think that's so smart 
That's yeah. such a great insight. Yeah. So the, I, hmm. I, I read about it and I, I didn't think, I didn't fi- think about it myself. I mean, uh, I, I read about it and it was, it was done more often like years ago, but now they wanted more in the modern uh, viticulture. They wanted more neat. They wanted also be able to maybe harvest like uh, with a machine and anything. Right. Machine harvesting. Yeah. Yeah, so it's difficult with this system, but we, we harvest everything by hand, so no problem. It's actually easier to, to harvest by hand It's because the grapes are right in front of you. You don't have to bend down. You don't break your back on uh, harvesting grapes. So, um, yeah, so it, it sort of got in a little bit of a disuse, but I think it's a super system. And, and we, we find vineyards all over the world that also use this system, but they're mostly like biodynamic vineyards. Yeah, yeah. Or, or old ones that are oh, very old ones, maybe yeah. still sort of polyculture yeah. systems yeah. where they're... Yeah. And you guys are... Are you playing around with a little bit of forestry, integrating some trees and things like that? Yeah, also, also, yeah. yeah. So that's what for are you the doing? New, so that's the, the new two hectares. We started a little uh, viti, viti forestry, they say. Uh, but even in the old uh, vineyard, we, we tried to get as much biodiversity uh, in the form of uh, different herbs and different plants. Uh, and, I think a, a right. biodiverse uh, vineyard is just much more resistant to all diseases and pests and everything. And right. uh, this new vineyard, we, we so we, we we wanted to do so in the old vineyard. There's plenty of biodiversity uh, above ground, like herbs and everything. And now we're thinking more biodiversity uh, in the soil by uh, using trees that have like a symbiosis with a lot of uh, fungal fungus and mycorrhiza and everything and we hope that in this way the the nutrients in this in the soil they get like uh, transported by the mycorrhiza to the uh, trees and to the grapes and so they sort of both profit from this uh, system the grapes and the trees and get more biodiversity and a, a living soil a healthier soil and that brings maybe healthier grapes yes yeah this this is my <laughs> this is my mantra. Um, how, in the vitiforestry section, what, what how is that laid out? Like, how are you using and interplanting? Yeah, so now we just did. Uh, we also, I, I was thinking about also using the like, the trellising, the poles. Normally, we have like one wooden beam per six uh, grapes. So we thought maybe we could do a living beam, huh? like the tree would be a living beam holding up the. The wires and the and the vines. So we have uh, um, seven spaces between two uh, normal wooden posts, and then three grapes, then one living tree, and then another three grapes. So like per six grapes, one tree. And then we are looking at what kind of trees, of course. And um, so we're looking at the mycorrhiza, and they're like sort of two types of mycorrhiza that grow into the root of a plant and that stay on the outside of the root and grapes have the right. system. Ecto and endo, right. Yeah, yeah. And so the grapes have the system, they go into the root system of the grapes. And um, that um, so the kind that's the, the symbiotic kind with grapes are the the, in, the endo. endo. Endo, yes. And, so we're looking so at endo endo with... endo type trees. So there right. are lists on the internet which tree which trees has what system. So we don't have oh, any oak, oak and beech and those kind of trees. They all ecto, and right. uh, it's more like fruit trees. Uh, it's like mulberry. It's uh, like uh, nut trees. Uh, yeah, yeah. What which ones did which ones did you plant? Yeah, robinia and uh, yeah. So we planted like maybe twelve to fourteen different varieties. Of twelve trees. to fourteen different varieties. What like what trees. what are some of the ones that you yeah, so we really like the, the mulberry, which also gives off fruit, of course. And, right. And uh, cornus, which is like, uh, I don't know what it's called in English, but cornus is the Latin name. I looked this up, and if I'm not mistaken, the cornus tree is the flowering dogwood tree, which is also a very beautiful tree. And then um, <laughs> pears and apples and cherries. Not all edible. No, no, it's like we're looking more at the wild varieties of those, and and we don't want to harvest the fruit. It's more for for maybe for for the birds or something. But uh, well, I mean, I didn't know about all this, but this is um, definitely like I'm extremely interested in this, in the in yeah. the sense that I have land that I plan to do this on myself in a very similar way to the way that you're doing it, um, and I've come to a lot of the same conclusions. So it's. But but I hadn't been looking at the mycorrhizae and that 
like the having the same kind of mycorrhizae, but I had heard anecdotally that mulberries were, you know, really good companions for grapes. And now it makes a lot more sense. Why? Um, maybe there are other reasons as well, but that, that uh, common kind of mycorrhizae is, yeah. is a really great tip off to what would work well in this yeah, system. It's going to be a very long, long experiment, and I hope yes. to see that some, some <laughs> around some trees that the vines really are doing much better. Than, you do than see that other trees? No, not yet. There, it's like three years. You, old. you right? You plan to yeah see that? Yeah, three years. So old, do so you, the beginning, but I think we will see that, and then for maybe for our next project, we'll we'll choose those trees that are performing best and improve the vineyard. And have you the have you planted them all at the same time? Now it took us like I think three years. Over three years, we planted them. Okay, I mean, I just meant, did you plant like the trees first and then integrate the vines because the vines are obviously faster growing? I, I don't think they're faster growing. Uh, trees can. Oh, grow you don't think so? Okay. Super fast when they really kick off, then they grow really faster. The Scary trees do. Faster. Yeah, the, the trees. Yeah, they can. Huh? Oh, but okay. we have to, we had to plant the vines first because you have to plant them in May after the frost uh, season sort of so we normally plant after uh, we call it uh, i don't know what like 15th of may we plant uh-huh. the vines because then normally you don't have any frost and trees right. you would have to plant like in march february march so we planted the vines first and then the year after we filled all the all the empty spaces with uh, with trees Okay. And then we planted, and we planted uh, the two hectares in three years because the new new uh, vines they just take up a lot of extra time, like weeding and binding. So we don't want to plant in six thousand uh, vines uh, in one year. It's just too much work. So we just sort of took it slowly. Right, wild. How do you intend to run the wires or wire? A yeah, so we have just one top wire. Yep. Yeah. And, and and they just you... I mean we have the the like the robinia uh, wood poles from like, like two and a half meters they in into the soil and uh, they carry the on top they carry the one uh, thread the one wire and then there are like bamboo sticks for every plant two meter bamboo sticks uh-huh. and to get them nice and straight and then sort of in the letter T so first you go up straight with the vines until you reach the top wire at like two meters, one meter 80, and then you go left and right. So it takes like a year or two years longer to get the final form, but uh, right. it doesn't matter. It's, it's already producing in after three years. So three Right, yeah. No, yeah. I guess what I meant is, are you attaching them to the trees or is that your plan to attach the wire to the trees or will you just let it sort of drape from the trees or how will that work? I think we'll, I, I, I think we're going to cut the trees at one point. Got because we can't have it. trees that that grow like ten meters, huh? so they have to, right. you know, <laughs> trees that can be pruned. So you will so, be pollarding them. You have to keep them like relatively small. And gotcha. They're gonna, like just, they're going to go yeah. thicker and thicker, like a, like a vine as well. And right. uh, the thread will be somewhere on top of it or something. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard of no, um, people. They're not people. Edge, but just on top. You know, it's it's it's. The, the wire is just hanging down eh, on the weight from the vines. So you, you only need like a downward force. And we hope that right. the trees will give more stability also so they don't right. blow over. Mm. Right, right, yeah. They have roots rather than just a, a hole in the ground. Yeah, um, and then rotting away after 10 years, you know? Right, right. They're actually re- getting stronger every yeah. year <laughs> instead of rotting <laughs> more and more. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense to me, believe me. I definitely, definitely... Um, this is very similar to the setup that I was thinking about as well. Yeah. Um, I, I've heard of people drilling holes in certain trees, uh, you know, mm-hmm. small holes, and then running the wire through the through the hole. Yeah, you and then the tree. Some trees have no problem at all with uh, wires. Huh? Right, right, and they'll they'll just grow grow around that and actually yeah. tighten the wire as they grow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but it, it depends on the tree. Right, right. Yeah, but we, we're gonna mistreat them a little bit by pruning them. Yeah, <laughs> a lot. So, yes, well, sort of like espalier, maybe a a, fun, a kind of espalier. Do you know yeah, what I mean yeah. by that? No, it's sort of like when you you shape a tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah like like yeah, yeah, yeah. really yeah, do yeah, like yeah. an like yeah, yeah. A, yeah like you're yeah. doing almost like a bonsai, but at a yeah, 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 yeah. Larger we, level. We call it uh, I don't know 
yeah, you lead, lead, yeah, let tree, you know, you lead the tree how you want to want it to grow, huh? Like you, with, what do you call uh, it? What's the what's the word that you use? Libom. Libom. Okay. Libom. Dom is tree, and lay is like right. leading. You, you lead, right. you're leading the tree how you want to be it formed. So against the wall, and then covering the whole wall. Or yes, like, yeah, that's, like, it. Uh, that's it. Like on a that's marketplace word, yeah. in France where the, the tree is covering the whole marketplace and giving shade. Right. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, exactly like that. Very <coughs> cool. Yeah. Are you guys doing anything for the soil besides uh, encouraging or uh, planting cover crops? I mean, do you do any compost, uh, any kind of you know, mowing or like animals or yeah, not yet. Animals, not yet, because I st- I'm still afraid that. Uh, we have some goats and we don't want to let them into the vineyard they they will eat yeah. everything but maybe I, I a different a different animal but uh, now we are uh, no we we are mowing but uh, we mow very little we only mow every row once a year and then mowing means also like rolling so i've got a big roller and i just uh-huh. roll through the vineyard and uh, sort of flattening all the grasses and then we only start mowing in june so we don't uh, mow anything in May. Yeah, that's the May mow. What do you call it? May mow not. May mow not May. Something like this. May not mow. Mow not May. It's a British. So you don't want to mow in May because Got all it. the insects, all the little birds, all the little uh, rabbits are and, and and frogs are being born in the vineyard in May. Uh. So if you start mowing, you're just killing them all. Right. Uh, and anyhow, mowing. If you mow a something you you're removing like 80 percent of all the insects right I mean, uh, removing like killing so uh, for biodiverse vineyard we don't want to do this uh, too often and so when we mow we start in june we do only one in four rows yeah? so, and we first wait till this one row that is that is recovered a little bit and and i mean the animals can go to the bordering uh, rows but you don't want to mow your whole vineyard at once and everything really short grass then there's no place for uh, for any for anything uh, so we so we do one row in four, and then like three weeks later, one month later, we do another row, and then another three weeks later, another row, and then the last row just before harvest. So and then we mow the whole vineyard, and the grass it can be like uh, one and a half meters high. So right. it, and, and when you mow it or roll it, it's a lot of organic matter, and that's right. that's just taken up into the soil. The nutrients are available for the for the vines. So uh, I mean, in this way, you get a perfectly healthy soil, and by not driving on your soil it doesn't get compacted a lot so it's still very loose very airy and uh, i mean it's uh, just wonderful well and i mean that's yeah. one of the advantages of not spraying as well too right yeah yeah you're, you're driving every week through the vineyard i mean it's it, and a, a tractor is like uh, one and a half tons or something eh? it's really compact in the soil and you have to go and you're spraying after rain so it's it's there's a lot of water in your vineyard as well, so you get extra compacting. So it's uh, no, it's not good. Well, what I want to know is how did you learn to do all this stuff, or and why did you want to do it all? Like, why did you want to learn to do all this in the vineyard, especially like the viticulture stuff? But you know, yeah, there's a lot of thought in the way that you're mowing and everything else. Yeah, but you got a lot of time to think when you're pruning and everything. Huh? <laughs> You were thinking, what can I do differently? What can I do better? And you're looking at the vi- vineyard, how it's, it, it's, it grows through the years, how it's developing. And uh, you see all the, after 10 years, the, the poles start breaking. And you think, couldn't we use it like a living living kind of pole that stays for, for, for tens of years? Or the mowing, you say, I can mow, should I mow now? Or why not wait a little bit? And, and trying over the years, doing less and less, actually. And uh, we see we see actually that the, the vineyard improves uh, by doing less. Well, I mean, but it, it just sounds like, yeah, I mean, so you're telling me you paid attention to the earth <laughs> and the earth was teaching you? Is that one way to put it? Yeah, but you just, yeah, you're, you're just thinking about how everything works in the vineyard and you, you, you do, yeah. well, this year you do that and maybe you, once I did, I, I, I started mowing real early in May and then after two weeks, the cross was the same height. You know, yeah. I think, right. and and the, the, the I did always did like one 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 uh, one row in two. So I did one row I mowed and the other not, uh, later. So and then after two weeks, they both the, the classes were just same height. Right. 
and said, why did I do this, huh? this, this first time? And, yeah. um, but if you mow too early, the grasses, they want to, to form seeds, you know, in springtime, right. like everything. And if you start mowing them, they still want to produce this. So they started growing immediately and trying to make seeds again. But if you mow after they made seeds, they just much more, they're much quieter. You mow them and they really stay smaller for a longer time. Uh, and we want to, the want we want the, all the plants, all the, the herbs as well to form seeds. So they so sort of spread themselves through the vineyard. And if yeah. you mow too much too early, then the seeds are not formed. Then you just have to reseed all the herbs like every other, every couple of years. Right. So, okay. Going back to compost, any compost or anything like that? No, so it, all the composting is in the vineyard, where you, right. you roll the grasses or, or mow them, and they're composted in the vineyard. Right, because then if you, yeah, right. So just a green mulch, a green, yeah, what yeah. we call a green yeah. mulch, yeah. and then or green manure. Um, yeah. Do you? Yeah. Wh- what about like your your pressings? Do you? I mean, I'm guessing your compost. Yeah, okay, we put that on the compost heap, of course. Huh? So we have. Right. <laughs> But then, I mean, does that go into a garden, or do you have to spread that back out into the vineyard? What do you? Yeah, doing? but it's difficult to spread it out in the vineyard. It's also not right, right. It's more I tractor mean, passes and everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we, we usually uh, put it in the vegetable garden or something. Maybe if we do a, like a new plot of uh, planting, we like right. for the first year we spread the compost there. But uh, yeah, we don't need it as such. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, do you want to talk any about? The wines that you're making? I mean, you, yes, you said a little bit when we were talking about varieties. But... The vineyard, huh? <laughs> the vineyard's making wine, huh? It's not like... Uh... Is it? Oh, God. Yeah, I've been, I've been uh, enjoying I've, the vineyard. it all wrong. Birds and wildlife. All in the, the romantic parts. <laughs> <laughs> but in the end, we want to make wine as well. Yeah, yeah. And that's it's just... Uh, I mean, uh, we really feel we have like two or three jobs. You know, one is tending the vines. Uh wonderful outside and then making the wine it's also so interesting to that whole side of uh, of a vineyard and yeah. uh, uh, we planted the vines in uh, 2005 and uh, so that's uh, i think it, it's difficult or i don't know but i mean we can manage that planting uh, plants and growing them but uh, making wine is something different so uh, I thought it would be best if I did like an internship in a, in a proper vineyard. So I went after planting the first hectare, we, I went to Germany and I did an internship in an organic vineyard there, working in the cellar, uh, making the wine. And uh, uh-huh. so I did it for two years. And then uh, you learn how to make wine in a certain way. And I came back and we started making the wine in this way here in, from our own grapes. But it was a conventional method, I would say. Around two... 2017, so after like maybe 10 harvests, we started experimenting with making natural wine. So don't not adding anything. And uh, in hindsight, it's quite logic that we we do work this way because you have so healthy uh, environment outside in the vineyard. So you have a lot of uh, wild yeast on your vines, a lot of bacteria, and it's really easy to make a natural wine. And so natural wine compared to a conventional wine is you don't add anything and you let the indigenous yeast uh, make the wine for you, and huh? the, the wild yeast, yeah. so to say. And uh, in the conventional way, you would first kill all the natural yeast with sulfites. Then you do uh, like clarification to get nice clear juice. Then you would add uh, like industrial yeast. So you know what kind of type of wine you're going to make. So it's it's real, real handy. Uh, and, then, and with the natural wine, it's more more surprise. But you, I think we get more character in the wine, more character from our vineyard. So it's really our Dusimus wine we're making. Right. I think, I mean, why we also chose maybe to stay conventional for a while is that we have, as you know, maybe that we have no tradition of winemaking in the Netherlands. So <laughs> it was hard enough to have a, uh, a wine and uh, go on to con- try to sell it as, okay, we are making Dutch wine. And of course, we are now part of a bigger wave of uh, new vineyards. So in the beginning... We also thought, I think, that we needed to make something similar to the wines that we grew up with. Because you're, right. you have to create a market for yourself. So in the beginning, yes. I think we were more comfortable also with this. Uh, with normal wine. With, huh? Yeah, quite like normal, fruity, traditional fresh wines. Fresh and fruity wines. Yeah. Because we had uh, to create our market, basically. 
Right.、Um, Do you have a decent population where you are? Yes. Yeah. So the Netherlands <laughs> has actually 17 million inhabitants, and they drink、uh, th- about 20 bottles per person a year average. So we drink like 350 million bottles a year, and the whole of the Netherlands is now producing one million bottles. Oh, look at that! So it's 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 nothing yet, huh? Right. On a 350 million. So I think there's a lot of room for for Dutch wine, and we see now that in the in the bigger cities, Amsterdam. People are really looking to this、uh, natural. They really want a natural wine. They're looking for organic, biodynamic, and、uh, and that's basically our market. So the local market is a little bit difficult now with the natural wine because people still drink conventional wine mostly. But for the big cities like Rotterdam, Amsterdam, they're really looking for the natural wine. All the restaurants and bars they like to serve a natural wine. Right, and it looks like you looks like you、uh, play with apples as well. Yeah, we make a cider. Yeah, yeah.、Uh, we don't、Are、have any growing apples. the apples. No, we don't. We don't have to because there are so many apples in the Netherlands, and we basically、yeah. start making cider because、uh, I heard this story about the apple growers. They have to throw so much away, like a, a quarter of their、uh, harvest, because、oh, well. not that because it's rot or anything, but just wrong size, like too big or too small for the supermarket. Right. And、uh, so we we got some of those apples and started experimenting making a cider. And so last year we made a, a new cider where we that's from our experience with the orange wine. So we make a lot of orange wine. And、yeah. um, and, and if you make orange wine, you see how much taste is there in the there is in the skins.、Uh, it's incredible.、Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And now I th- find it such a waste to throw away s- perfect skins. Yeah. Skins. <laughs> right. So we put them with the apple cider, the grape skins of our white. Like wine. if you make a white, you mean you do you put? Yeah, the white one. We press the grapes, and then you have all these grape skins in the press, and we take them out, put them in apple cider, right? And then sort of an orange wine apple cider. Yeah, and that's really amazing. That sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah, like light alcohol, a lot of taste, like the orange wine, little、mm. sparkling. Yeah. So、Lovely. we always we always experimenting with new things. Every year, almost. Gotcha. And this, and this you, year sort of was the Mestrochon Carbonique、uh, year to try the first、okay. Mestrochon Carbonique. So for the future, I think it's very interesting because the flavors are again completely different. I, I will be interested to hear what you find out about that.、Um, that sounds <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about your winemaking or wine?、Um, So mostly,、uh, yeah. So we started 2017 with natural wine, and we started it with、uh, with an orange wine because、uh, orange and red are easiest to make in a natural way because you get the natural tannins, which are making the wine a lot very stable. And、right. uh, it, the orange wine was really picked up、uh, very well, and、uh, so we had to make it. So it was sold out very quick, and we had had to make more and more and more. And so now our half of our production is actually orange wine. And、uh, the other half is a red rosé and,、uh, and and white. But we would in the beginning we would think、uh, that white would be our、uh, main main wine. But so now it's orange, and yeah, hope to make、uh, make more of that. I, and I, so we do, and we do then a maturation in、uh, these、uh, clay amphores, which is really interesting. Again, yeah, such, such beautiful maturation, so so beautiful that now we are putting the red wine in the amphores as well to keep more fruitiness. In our red、mm, wines, so、nice. very interesting、uh, subject. The whole winemaking, yeah, it a is a lot of a lot of room for experimenting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. I, that's I why it that takes hundred、well. years to、yeah. uh, to make a nice. Only、wine. once a year you can experiment. <laughs> you can, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so maybe the,、right. the next ten years we can learn about mes- carbon- carbonic maceration and <laughs> something else. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, I. I mean, I I found that with orange wine as well. Here, it's super popular. Like, if, I mean, people come. I work at a natural wine bar, and people come specifically to try. You know, they like we could probably have more. Like a the like our biggest section could be orange wine. Orange wine, and, yeah, and it would do well. And do you also find that it's mainly the the people between twenty five and forty five? I do. Like a young <laughs> yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does seem. So they grow up、well. with this. It's interesting. 
Yeah, and I, I make a, an orange wine that also includes prickly pears, which are you know native oh, yeah. here in Los Angeles. So it's how how could people can people visit you? Can do you have like tasting hours? Do you have yeah, what do you guys do? How do people? Yeah, we we're not like a Californian vineyard, eh? which all very sleek and <laughs> organized and everything. Huh? So I mean, basically, we're working every day in the vineyard, and, and people are very welcome to uh, to take. What do you have to do in the vineyard? You don't spray, you don't mow. What do you do <laughs> yeah, in the vineyard? Still, still be going around. I don't know. Couple, couple <laughs> the vines. Sing to the vines. Yeah, but. Um, yeah, they can they can always uh, visit us, and uh, but we don't have like organized uh, tastings. We only do that for so group. maybe in future by, by appointment we'll, only. Yeah, but and we are it, very we are very easy with that. Huh? Got yeah. it. But we're also still thinking where we want to go with yeah. all this. Do we want right. to have like a tasting room, or maybe we just like being outside in nature and not bothering too much with people? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Totally, just distribute. Yeah, uh, so we're we're not sure where to go with this part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, people are always welcome to enjoy the vineyard, like we, and uh, take a walk through the vineyard, see nice. how everything is growing. Yeah. Well, you do say guided tour on your website. Do you say yeah, we do, but it's for like a group of uh, like yeah. ten people or something. They have to okay. organize themselves in a group. Yeah, <laughs> they have to organize themselves. Got it. Yeah, yeah. that's much better. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, your that that website is dasmus.nl, right? D a s s e m u s dot n l. Yeah. Um, cool. Anything else, guys, that I I've neglected to ask you or that you wanted to talk about? No, I don't know. No. So you haven't tasted our wines then, because we no. are exporting to the U.S. That's a pity. You're not exporting, right? No, no. Yeah, not to the U.S. No. No, and when I was there, I, I, I mean, I'll be honest. When I was there, I was not drinking that much. Um. I mean, like Heineken was about all I drank when Ooh. I was there. And, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I did, and some coffee for care. Uh, that was that was about it. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, if I come back, um, I would You're love planning to, to come uh, back to Holland or to the Netherlands. Uh, I'm planning to be in the area, definitely. Uh, hopefully, we'll see. There's so many, so many things that have to um, align. But yes, I definitely am planning to come back. I just don't know when. Very good. But um, well, well, thank you guys. Thank you so much for this conversation. I really appreciate it. And uh, honestly, like, uh, I mean, I know I haven't tasted your wines, but I, to me, I mean, the thing that I always say is I could care less like how you make the wines if you're farming like you guys are farming. Like, honestly, I mean, I, I, I hope. It's delicious because that will only uh, promote this kind of farming. Um, but, you know, stylistically, I could care less what you're doing with it. You could be distilling it all as far as I care <laughs> and <laughs> making cognacs. But I think that's also um, probably where we come from. I mean, our focus has always been on whatever happens in the vineyard. vineyard. Yeah. Super focused on working as natural as possible there. And then later came the natural wine thing. And we're still not, I think too bothered about adding sulfides. I mean, we do a little bit. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But our focus has always been more on the vineyard. And of course, we want to make nice wines. But if we had to choose, I mean, we would never spray for sure. But if someday we would have to make conventional wine, meaning adding yeast, I mean, yeah, maybe. I think we're we're less bothered by that aspect. Right. And more of the full focus on, on our vineyard practices. Yeah. But I think the, the natural wine we make now reflects the yeah. the naturalness of our vineyard more than before. Yeah, you are more, like a lot more. So you really in the wine you really taste the the, the well. No, I love that the that was... of of the of the vineyard. So that's I think that's really uh, yeah. really nice. Well, and I love that that was the journey that you took was like starting with natural farming and then yeah. realizing, hey, you know, if I made the wine. And I, I, or I can let the wine just express itself because mm-hmm. of the farming, um, yeah. rather than you know I think there's a lot of backwards thinking about natural wine where it's still very focused on the seller and yeah. Yeah. less attention and less yeah. care is given to you know like oh as long as it's like you know people aren't I'll just buy some grapes somewhere yeah yeah like let's just buy some you know <laughs> quote unquote organic grapes from somewhere 
but yeah, I, I love that you guys came at it the other way. Um, and I, and I mean, that's my approach as well and why I, yeah, I'm, that's very cool to have, to have, uh, discovered you guys. I mean, to found, to found, you know, uh, I, you know, honestly, it was, I have to give credit to, uh, Ryan Opaz of Catavino Tours who, um, has connections <laughs> and i said hey i'm looking for somebody who's not spraying their vineyard in europe and uh, a few days later he came back with a link to your website oh, cool. very good. <laughs> yeah so um yeah very cool to uh, very cool to meet you guys thank you again for this yeah. conversation really really fun hope to talk to, and hear see you this. in the in the vineyard someday yep. definitely i would love to and it sounds like we're gonna have to compare notes on our vitiforestry projects because they much. sound extremely similar and <laughs> i'm very interested to to maybe even see what you guys have done uh, as i'm starting to implement what i'm doing so that'd be really cool Great. Okay. thank you so much for listening to that i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did and i just wanted to thank you for being you if you're listening to this if you made it all the way to the end you are one of the greatest reasons for hope that we have if you care about these things one of our greatest resources that we have the power and ability to change and make real difference in the world is the soil and the health of our agricultural lands and you are likely involved with that at some level through wine if you're listening to this podcast so you are actually one of the most potent avenues for us to make change and as that, you are one of the lightning rods for hope that we all have. So don't forget that as you go through your day. And thanks for being that.